Hello and welcome to our special edition podcast, The Recap, presented by myself, Shauna Cohn, Megan Conway and Rachel Martin. This week we'll be delving into the world of gambling, discussing whether or not children are less equipped to deal with life's challenges, and chatting about the first time we felt like adults. ingrained in Irish culture and it's a pastime many enjoy, especially students. Now while most people see gambling as a relatively harmless bit of fun, many people also struggle to cope with their gambling addiction and this causes harm to themselves and others. Now problem gambling is estimated to affect up to 40,000 people across Ireland. The Irish Institute of Public Health found that adolescent gambling in Ireland is two to three times greater than that of adults and with many high profile young people such as Ushie McConville, Niall McNamee and David Glennon coming forward and discussing their struggle and their recovery, it's important that young people are educated on the effects of gambling. So Shauna, why do you think younger people have this kind of need to gamble? I think it boils down to the issue around the gambling industry involving like incentives I think that's what gets young students it shouldn't be seen as a way of making money it really is a way of losing money you have things like free bets you know if you're down to your last tenner a student B maybe needs 100 euro to pay for the rent and you're seeing a free bet incentive that's going to give you a free bet for like maybe 30, 40 euro whatever it's attractive to many people especially younger people and then you see another thing you know especially around soccer sport maybe half time you'll maybe Bet365 are very good at this. They actually get a lot of their profits from in-bet playing, actually 80% of it. So ads come up maybe during halftime, kind of deceptively high-looking odds. Your chances really of winning or paying out are quite are quite slim. But I think the issue is that young people don't really have a great understanding of the probabilities and how they work. So they're lured into bets this way when they're un- very unlikely of winning. But it's not just about in, you know, in relation to sport. You see with casinos, and arcades as well. What they're doing is you'll have membership. So you'll sign up to an arcade or a casino and they're very clever with this and I've seen examples of it and I've spoken to other people about it. They'll send a text message on the day of the dole, the day the dole comes out, or they'll send a message the day the Susie grant comes out and they're offering maybe a free 10 euro bet. And that's just to get you in the door. It's an incentive in the door. In the incentive but in the door. Interestingly, Shauna, that you're saying that, a lot similarly with the apps, they have trackings on the app so that if you're not using your app very frequently, they give they send you the same a text message or an incentive to use it again. And it's tempting if you if you're kind of haven't if you're, if you're maybe just haven't used it because you're low on money or you just kind of forgotten about it we've all have apps on our phone that we're just kind of getting out of the habit of using so if you're constantly getting a notification or a text with an incentive to if, to actually participate in betting of course you're it's it's encouraging a habit that can be sometimes might just be a bit of fun as you said Megan but it can be detrimental when it becomes an addiction but what I'm wondering is at what point does it become an addiction and it's it's kind of hard to say there's the line and you've crossed it but at what point does it become what do you guys think so I think it's kind of easy enough to recognise the problem in others but it's not easy to recognise the problem in yourself so if you have a friend or a family member even yourself who gambles quite often and kind of sees it as a hobby sometimes but then is quite dependent on it other times is is really kind of worrying and if they're constantly looking for money and they're trying to win back money and even if they're expressing kind of depressed kind of thoughts and suicidal thoughts and trouble sleeping and all that kind of stuff they're signs that you know a lot of professionals are saying are the reason or are what we should be looking for 
Now, in this day and age, 96% of 15 to 35 year olds carry mobile phones. So as Rachel said, they have the potential to bet and gamble in their pocket 24 hours a day by their bedside at night. So obviously it's not as easy to deal with it and to kind of cope with a, a gambling addiction. But we need to kind of address that. And I think student unions and I think, you know, lecturers and families need to address that with young people. It's interesting you say that, though, Meg, because, you know, Tony O'Reilly, the postman who actually gambled away 10 million with Paddy Power and stole 1.75 million from Unpust, he has come forward and said um, various times in his recovery process that it's it's not a thing where you're really thinking, okay, I... I'm going to do this out of vindictiveness or out of not caring for your family. It's a process where you get into this whirlwind where you're saying, okay, I've borrowed this much. I'll win this and I'll pay it back and I'll I'll put it towards it. And you always feel like you can get out of it, but it's just a black hole that you're falling down into. So I think for me, listening to him, I would say that that is when it becomes an addiction, but it's, it's probably too late when it gets to that point. I mean, it's becoming, it's, it's younger and younger that, this, this addiction is beginning because the tactics that a lot of the gambling companies are using be it Paddy Power be it Bet365 they're now using cartoon characters be it The Simpsons or whatever else that young adolescents would be familiar with and I think it's a tactic that's what they're using it is enticing younger people to start gambling now maybe one euro or two euro it's, it's starting them young and Younger people, we all know, tend to have more addictive personalities. And then when you're introduced to something at a younger age through something familiar like a cartoon character, that's when you're going to see problems occurring. And that's what really needs to be tackled. It's not just these tactics and that these companies are using, but it's advertising. I mean, it is everywhere. And it's especially in sport. You'd see it in newspapers, particularly the Star or the Sun, that would have a very kind of big sport following and sport readership but there's pages of of ads for for betting mm-hmm. and betting sites and it's interesting you're saying even young people um college students it's it is very popular among college students and for myself i really only noticed it in college people would have it on their phone people would whip it out they'd be checking their text messages they'd be checking their bets you know and it is in my experience i feel it is more among males than females um but the u um the usi are cracking down on this and they are trying to to help because they're they're seeing that it is a problem um turning to the us uh, college students in 2010 compared the results of their 2008 survey and they found that the monthly use of mobile gambling sites among male students increased by 4.4% in 2008 to 16% in 2010 so it's just showing even from then it's increasing so I would imagine it's going again smartphones weren't even you know as good as they are now yeah back then 2010 like I was a while ago you see then around you know the likes of Cheltenham and Aintree and the Ascot and Galway races even it's just tied into I think it becomes more acceptable around events like that Mm. you know it's it's a day out you know we're all having a good time but you'll see an example of um, Davy Glenn and the Galway Hurler, who's a, an advocate now for for gambling addiction, but it was around the time of Cheltenham a couple of years ago, and he got a a loan out from the credit union, his local credit union, five thousand euro there and then, put it on a bet at Cheltenham, gone, and the thing is he didn't even bat an eyelid. Jesus. 
it's really quite shocking and I suppose when you're young and when you come first come to college you know it's your first time away from home it's your first time managing your own budget and you're naturally kind of predisposed to be a bit more impulsive so we actually spoke to Barry Grant who is the CEO and the founder of Problem Gambling and he gave us a few tips and advice for people who are cope or struggling with a, a gambling addiction and what they can do about it. The first thing would be to pick up the phone either to call ourselves or to call the Gamble Aware hotline or to call the Dunluwe hotline or to call the Gamblers Anonymous contact number and speak to somebody. Really that's the first step even if it, you know the person is unsure about their their own gambling or if it is problematic the person on the other end of the phone will be able to go through an assessment with them and give them some idea of what's going on and give them some idea of what support services are available to them and usually what we see in the services is that people only tend to seek help uh, when they're in serious crisis and what we're trying to do is to encourage people to seek help earlier in that process. So as soon as a person feels they're experiencing some level of gambling related harm, they will seek help. So that was Barry Grant from Problem Gambling Ireland. And if you have been affected by anything we've discussed today on the podcast, uh, feel free to visit the website www.problemgambling.ee or phone call 89 There's no doubt that society is a lot different to when we were children and there's no doubt that young people have a lot more to deal with than when we were younger. But I do think that parents are beginning to shelter their children a lot more. For example, when I was in school, there were sports days and there was a first place, there was a second place and there was a third place. And if you didn't place, you went home, you cried about it and you got on with it. Now everyone wins something. Everyone gets like a participation award. Well, I know about you, Shauna, but I was always winning my sports day, so I never went home <laughs> crying. No, I'm only joking. I, I really didn't. Um, but you think now the kids, I mean, they're going through childhood and adolescence, sheltered from the negativity of the world. Are they really able then to cope with life's challenges when they become an adult? I, d- I do think that in sport especially, it's very important to learn how to lose. And it's something that my, my mom always says in rugby. It's very much a sport of respect where you clap off the other team when you're the winning team you clap off the losing team and I think that that is important it's important to lose gracefully and it's important to understand that you're not always going to win in life and I do think that sometimes even even children who are say not very talented at something when their parents smother them and say oh you're the best artist you're the best singer sure we see people go on the x factor and they're horrendous and you say have they no friends to tell them they cannot sing like you actually when you're not good at something I think it's it's more of a service to your friend or your family or your loved one to actually say, look, you're great at a lot of things, but you're not great at that. It's true, Rachel. I mean, there's always going to be someone that's prettier, that's going to be smarter than you, whatever, you name it. But I think the demands have changed, particularly when we were, you know, when we were younger and those before us around academics. They're always raising the bar, expecting more from children now. Well, I think that's kind of... I think once you kind of go by the age of eight or nine, you kind of have to appreciate that you're not going to win everything in life, that you're not going to be the best at everything in life. And, you know, when you kind of go into that whole secondary school thing, like secondary school is lethal. It is just competition, yeah. competition, competition. And that disappears when you go to college. But um, kind of the primary school age, 
kids don't really know about winning and losing until they're kind of that nearly 10 years old. I know even in sports in school, um, you don't actually start competing competitively in GAA and soccer until you kind of hit about under eight, under 10 stage. Under sixes, they have teams, but they actually don't play matches. They're just mm-hmm. there for fun. So it's kind of a question really, like, do you want to really expose young kids to the harsh realities of life yeah. so early? Do you want to keep them maybe mollycoddle that little bit longer do you know I think yeah. it kind of just comes down to that I, I, do, I don't think there's any harm in it to be honest but, but like you look at examples then Megan of students that are coming into and it's true that are coming into college, college that are already on medication for anxiety and depression that is increasing year on year you haven't even turned maybe 18 or 19 and I, my father always jokes about me when I started college and I'd be stressed about this, that or the other. And he'd be like, Shauna, you have no idea what stress is. And isn't it not a little bit frightening that people of that age, you know, young adults, 18 and 19, are already on medication for these? I might jump in there after. But I feel I feel like that's kind of opening up another topic, though, because the thing is, years ago, baby people did suffer with anxiety. But did people recognise yeah, it? I just agree with you. Is that what you were going to say? I just, I... I would agree with you that maybe people are a little bit less they're a little bit less tough these days because yeah, there's more 100%. acceptance it's my point my point that I'm making is that because maybe we've had such a sheltered life we're a bit soft. more more children have had younger children have had more sheltered life when the pressure comes up, comes upon us mm. we're thrown multiple things at once yeah. that we're just not able to deal with this I, I would agree with you to a point but then also in terms of medication in terms of say mental health and that kind of thing I think now I'm not exactly qualified to say this but I would say that in comparison to previous generations I mean there were there's a name for every kind of syndrome now and say even our parents generations like I remember my mom saying there was a girl in her class and she used to sit in the corner because she was stupid and they'd call her the dunce like what in the name of God that girl might have been suffering from some kind of some something and she yeah. probably just needed some help or some kind of medication oh, yeah. and I know I'm not I know you're not saying that but what the point I'm just making is I think that there are you know, maybe people are being medicated more now because they need to be, and maybe in the past they did need to be, but they just weren't getting the, what my the point, help. My point, point is really, it's about the academics. I mean, I'm acknowledging the fact that yeah, children now have a lot more pressure in relation to education than we did, and I think maybe that's you know I'm trying to cut people slack on the fact that they may not be able to cope with these things because the demand is a lot larger. Yeah, I, I'd say you were probably right for the most part, um, and that that would contribute to it, but I think it couldn't all be to blame in, in terms of people are medicated more because yeah. you know it's not, it's not all to blame with parenting and yeah. tolerance but, and that kind of way oh 100% yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm not painting it all with the same brush I'm just saying that you would see a difference so I think even kind of going back there to that point like we are a lot more sensitive even to our parents age and you know they had a completely different lifestyle a completely different kind of pressure and I don't think it's very fair to say, oh, do you know, like we're kind of we're more educated. That's why a lot of kids now have anxiety and depression, because people back then had it, too. It's just 
the research wasn't there and you know our parents and yeah. our grandparents didn't actually realise that you can't actually be tough on a six year old because they won't do something do you know and I think it's because now because we're all like even as society we've matured so much in the last few years and now we realise that what's the point of kicking a six year old when they're down because it's not going to do them any justice they're never going to remember it like mm-hmm. do you know toughen them up really when they're eight nine ten like and that's the difference I think between now and then like that they just weren't educated enough to realise that that doesn't work but then we're getting to another extreme where trigger warnings are being issued by universities to warn students of potentially upsetting material so it's giving students an advanced warning of any kind of potential upsetting material in lectures so then they get the option to leave the lecture before the class begins. I mean, this happens in history lectures. It happens in economic lectures, political lectures. Is this just? But is honestly, this another end of the the scale? Honestly, girls, I think in three years, if any of our lecturers had emailed us saying trigger warning, this is going to be a tough lecture. Everyone in the class who decides to leave is one hundred percent not leaving because they're going to be upset by the images. They're just taking an opportunity to leave. So, I think I, it's, it, it's growing in both. US universities and the UK but of course I, it's growing if you were in a lecture and someone said to you you don't have to be here it's a trigger warning you're going to get up I, and leave I think le- I think legally maybe that's just something they're doing to cover themselves Yeah. like we we don't know because we're maybe we're not experiencing it we're not going through it but if you were you probably wouldn't make it very very known so a lot of people do suffer in silence with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and I think it is only right that they do give those warnings for fear that there is anyone like our lectures are quite small there's only 40, 50 if even people in them but if there's say 100 people you don't know those students you don't know their background you don't know what they've experienced so I think maybe from a legal point maybe that's where they're doing it and saying here look just just so you know don't be upset afterwards we warned you but then are we, are we shielding our children from difficult subject matters? I mean, in, Feb- in February, Spike, also. which is an online magazine, revealed 55% of UK universities are censoring speech. But you're not, they're not children in universities. Exactly. Exactly. So why are we shielding adults from difficult com- conversations and difficult topics? Well, I don't know. I, to be honest, think like that's a bit ironic that the universities are doing that and then they can turn on the news and they can see hundreds of people being killed out in like Syria or Libya like to be honest I think it's more of a legal stance that they're doing that and they just don't want anyone to turn around and sue the college saying that lecturer showed me a video and now I'm suffering and I can't sleep at night I think it's more kind of for that reason but I I would agree with Shoshana in that that wouldn't have happened years ago and you have it does bear the question why why is it a generational thing why is it a our our, our millennials the generation that can't cope and but that is as well like years ago they didn't have the technology to do that you couldn't get an email before a lecture to say we're going to show you something crazy today they didn't have the technology in the class to say oh we're going to be looking at a, a fairly scary video today it wasn't there so I don't think it probably ever crossed their mind to ever have to do that as well I guess you've kind of come for full circle with that one so but yeah I mean it's interesting to talk about it from both sides because you can actually see there's there's so many different points there's so many different ways about it but I think ultimately we'd have to ask universities we'd have to ask the people why they kind of do those things but it it's I it definitely bears the question are people are this generation a little bit softer than previous generations so for the last part of the show we're turning to something a little bit lighter and discussing at what stage we first felt like adults so as it is the last week of our college life forever 
sad times. Um, not forever. Not forever. Um, Fingers crossed. That was, I'm going to start the ball rolling and say today was the, last, the first time I really felt like an adult because it was like, I really felt like we came full circle. We came in in first year not knowing anybody and it was that, what's your name and where are you, where are you from? And we all went to the canteen and today we had our last supper in the canteen and it was like full circle and I was walking through campus today and I just said, oh my God, this is one of the last times I'm going to walk from here to here and have food in the canteen. And I'm like, every other time in your life, you you were graduating from primary school and you knew you were moving on to secondary school and you knew that's where you were going. Then secondary school, you had, okay, you were graduating, you had your CAO, you were junior leaving cert, but at some point you said, I'm going to go to college and that's my next plan. And this, for the first time in my life, I'm saying, what is my next plan? It's to be an adult. Mm-hmm. And that is terrifying. It is. It's funny enough, Rachel, that today has probably been the day that I kind of first felt like an adult too. I've had like dipped in and in and out of adulthood, you know, coming, you know, starting a course, dropping out and then finally finding my love, my, you know, time in university, be it in retail or hospitality. But it wasn't until I got an email this afternoon offering me paid work for um, working in journalism in a, in a radio station you know the, my three years has built up to this and it was the reading the email and being are you you know are you available th- this Monday kind of hit home that wow I'm finishing college and I'm actually have a go- job have a job and it's an adult job before yeah. you even graduate I kind of still don't really feel like an adult I think I have a bit of time left to be honest I felt like an adult when I first paid my taxes mm. that's killer um, I didn't because I didn't understand. <laughs> no, I had to get an adult to help me. Oh, yeah. I, to, <laughs> I actually had to get an auditor to help me do mine because I thought I was being able to... Anyway, I wasn't. <laughs> um, but, uh, so, yeah, that was pretty. But I still th- I still think we're very young. Like, I'm only 20. I have another three years left until I become an adult. I mean, it's scary to think that some of our parents... Some of our aunties and uncles were yeah. married. My at mom our and dad age. got married at they were twenty three and twenty four. My nana was married at nineteen, pregnant at twenty, mother at twenty one. And we, now we're frightened at w- the fact. Widow at twenty five, unfortunately. Really? God bless my granddad that I never met. Twenty five. Yeah. And now it's mad that you wouldn't even be thinking about that kind of thing until you're in your thirties. Mm. What do you think is a good thing too? Because you know. You do you get, think it's been a good, a good flip? Yeah, definitely. Because I do think people need time to. Like explore and find themselves and jumping into a marriage and kids that young it's an awful lot of responsibility you don't really get time to live your life where you're not tied down to a job or tied down to a college course or education you know you need that few years I think to yeah I I actually had this discussion recently with my mum because I was saying how women before you know you didn't really a lot of the time was not say not our parents' generation, but cer- certainly our grandparents' generation d- wouldn't really have gone to college. Sometimes they didn't even finish secondary school, so the process was sped up. You you finished your education and you became a mother. You became the provider of, you, well, the man became the provider, working straight away, and the woman became the the person who looked after the house and looked after the kids. And the social norms have changed so much. But now I am so blessed and I feel so lucky that I am in a generation and in a world where 
I as a woman can actually go to college and afterwards say I don't really know what I'm going to do next and my next the expectation isn't go start a family or go get married yeah. straight away because there are a lot of places all over the world where unfortunately that still is the case yeah. 100%. even in our own history for how long when you it was until you know when you got married you had to quit your job oh no yeah the marriage that was devil um, yeah, time that was yeah. our that was our grandparents that's not that far that's a hundred years ago you know, but we have to we have to acknowledge thing. too that it's not all it's not all good and it's not all rosy and financial uncertainty that we face right now as as graduates is is tough to swallow we're going to be looks like the generation that are going to the first generation that are going to make less money mm. than than our parents the overqualified generation that have yeah. no jobs. But I mean, but then you go, there you go, Shauna got offered something. There are jobs and you freelance shift. At least we're not <laughs> coming out of college trying, hoping to get into jobs with two kids and a wedding yeah. to pay for. So it, we have to do appreciate that as well. Yeah. But I think we're, I, we're very fortunate and the only reason that I'm not kind of grabbing the first job that I can is because I'm luckily I'm lucky enough that my mother and father and like I think like our own are very supportive. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. And if we didn't have that, shout out to mom. <laughs> if we mom. didn't have that, I don't, Thanks, I don't, I don't even know what my next step would be. I genuinely yeah, don't think yeah. I could have actually finished the course. But I do think, as recession kids, kids who lived through the worst recession Ireland's ever seen, we are that bit more conscious that you know you don't want to jump into a job and that you know if you do start making money you save it and I do think that's ingrained in people our age because we did experience the height of the recession I, I actually remember in school um, in fifth year when we went to our guidance counsellor and I remember everyone around me being like you're so lucky that you know what you want to do because from third year like I went to work experience in TV3 in, in TY and like I knew the whole time through school I wanted do journalism DC for some reason I just got into my head and I was like that's what I want to do and I remember going to my guidance counsellor and he sat me down and he said um, you know what do you want to do what are your interests and I was like oh I know the course I want to do journalism DC and he just goes and what do your parents think and it was the way it was just like oh, like they're, that's not a that's not a sensible career mm, choice yeah. and it was I just got the sense of what do your parents think and I said they support me 100% they said go for it follow your dreams do whatever you want or not do whatever you want follow your dreams do you can do they said you can do whatever you want to do if you want to do law you will be the best lawyer or whatever and like obviously your parents are always going to think that of you and thank god they do because if they well, don't believe in you I was just going <laughs> to say no like they, your parents are always going to support you but the fact that he said what do your parents think because the point the point I'm trying to make I'm making very long winded point but if you're if if you don't have support from there it's so hard to keep going with it it's so yeah. hard to actually push forward because it's sometimes you don't believe in yourself and whether it's your parents or whether there's somebody at home or anybody who believes in you it's so cheesy but you actually need that so much yeah. because there are times but when you I, I don't, don't think, believe in yourself I don't think parents care anymore what the kids do in college because no one tends to end up doing what they did yeah it's a and good like, point <laughs> I know even at home between cousins friends neighbours like people drop out like mad do you know it's college isn't as daunting I don't think as it was for years so like even when I was picking this course I remember having a meltdown during my leaving cert and I was like oh there's no jobs in journalism I'll just do primary school teaching and my dad was like Megan he was like 
you just do what you want to do because I'm only paying for this once. And then that was it. That's all he had to say. But I mean, look at look at primary school teachers at the moment, the way they when they come out of university and the pay grades that they're on mm. and the work hours that they have to do. So do you know what? But I mean, true, but kids all day. A lot of the time, your BA degree is only a stepping stone. Yeah, 100%. Uh, if, if it's kind of the... It's, it annoys me because it used to be a thing where secondary school was an achievement. Then it was... Now it's college is an achievement and like your your undergrad, but now it's like oh you don't have a masters like <laughs> that's I know. it's that it it's but just to go back to the other point as well about being an adult it was funny I was just popping into Brown Thomas in Galway to speak to a friend and one of the girls I'd be kind of pally with she works on the Mac counter we we're just chatting away and she was like how are you getting on with college and I was filling her all in blah 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 she'd be just turning thirty I think why. Mm, yeah this year and she was we are having this actual conversation I was talking about geez, I feel so old I'm going to be finishing college I'm 23 and she goes Shauna please like pure disgust she goes I'm 30 and I still haven't set up my pension <laughs> she goes what even is a pension I just know because all of my friends are saying Shona because that's her name you need to so- sort out your pension I suppose we are very fortunate that we in a sense, didn't have to grow up as quickly as past people, past generations, or even some people who are put in a situation where they're forced to grow up really quickly. So we had the luxury of time, and we had the luxury of yeah. of being students for this long. Oh, and it might take another few years to yeah. before I enter adulthood. <laughs> unfortunately, it is coming to an end, and unfortunately, our podcast is also coming to an end. Thanks so, so much for listening today. I'm Megan Conway with Rachel Martin and Shauna Cohn and you've been listening to The Recap.